Hi, and welcome to the Young Family Small Business Podcast, the show that deep dives into conversations with experts in small business, raising a young family, or are shining examples of mastery in both. My name is Ben Walker, and I'm the founder of Inspire, Life-Changing Accountants, and the host of this podcast. This episode is sponsored by Inspire, Life-Changing Accountants. We've worked with thousands of business owners since we started in 2013, and we're best known for saving our client base a total of $17 million in tax and counting. For every dollar of tax we proactively save a small business, Inspire donates a day worth of access to life-changing food, water, health, or sanitation services to a family in need. If you're interested in speaking with an accountant to see how we could help your business, head to inspire.business forward slash chat. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Young Family Small Business. On today's episode, I interview Bruce Sullivan, um, who I've got to know quite well over the last couple of years. Bruce is a proven performer in achieving results in people for over 35 years. His practical hands-on experience is based on working with individuals, families, businesses, and communities, providing education and opportunity for personal improvement. Uh, managing his own businesses since his teens, by age 24, he had his, has established his own million-dollar network of businesses and has an extended track record of working with a wide range of private and public organisations, both in Australia and overseas. Uh, he's owned supermarkets, 7-Elevens, cafes and gyms since that time, uh, along with several entrepreneurial endeavours or experiments. Bruce was also voted Australian Keynote Speaker of the Year uh, by the National Speakers Association of Australia, uh, and he was admitted to the Australian Speakers Hall of Fame in 2007. And in terms of what we talked about, there's some really, really uh, cool points for both balancing business and family life uh, at home. So he's got some gems, including uh, having a holiday policy for your family, uh, making sure you've got school holidays off with the kids, uh, and also building rituals into your family life as well. So there's some good stuff on there. Uh, In terms of the business side of things, um, he's talked about how we move through the cash flow, uh, Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow quadrant uh, with his learn to swim business. Also, the importance of team member engagement and the actual cost to your business, both in a profit and a business value and also enjoyment for you as the business owner perspective. So really cool. Um, and the, the other goal one there is making sure you send yourself to time out, not the kids. So again, always love the gems uh, in the conversations I have with Bruce and, and so happy to, to have him on the podcast. Uh, I really hope you enjoy, um, enjoy today. Hey, thanks so much, Bruce, uh, for being on the podcast today. I've, I've been—I think we booked this in a few months before the end of the year—and um, really looking forward to it. So, thank you for joining. Thanks for having me, and I've been looking forward to it. It has been like most things during COVID—a little bit of a roll-up to the actual date. So, yeah, great <laughs> to be here. Yeah, awesome. Alrighty, so Bruce, the first question we ask on the show is: tell us a bit about your family. Okay. Well, my most immediate family has expanded. Um, we're now a modern family, so uh, modern family in more ways than one because I've managed to track down my biological family over the last couple of years. So I have two brothers, new brothers, uh, oh, wow. and a sister, and uh, just recently remarried. So the modern family, I bring two children to that party. Rachel brings two. Uh, so that makes us officially a family of four, but only one at home. The other three have left the coop. <laughs> doing their own thing from an apprenticeship to studying, uh, studying and working. And um, the other one who is probably the most academic also studying and working. Um, and I want to 
time to go on the degree and one that I'm a 25-year-old who gets to live the last most of the time in Tanner. She's a champion. She's got an extra chromosome and um, that makes her even more wonderful. So that's us. Awesome. And, and I know that the answer to this question, this next question might have changed throughout the last 18 months, um, but what do you like to do to spend time together as a family? We certainly like to eat together. <laughs> the rituals that we do, whether we're eating home or eating out, we really love family meal time. So we really try to make the most of that. The other thing that we like to do is exercise together. And when I say exercise, we all three of us were at the gym this morning, Hannah, Rachel and I were smashing it out down the gym, us awesome. with our PT and her with their exercise physiologist. And the other thing, and, you know, walking in terms of exercise, being outdoors and doing what we can. And we love to socialise with other people together. We'll regularly get families together and the kind of being at the same time. But uh, it's really nice to connect with people and just we kind of like the smaller group really so you actually get to catch up with the people who you are with yeah how good there you go and then in terms of um, running a business has its demands how do you sort of keep time and, and, and build your relationship with rachel oh look i think that the number one thing that i've always done no matter what all my adult life is remembering that on my tombstone uh, there's not going to say anything about the companies I've worked for or the businesses that I've owned. Uh, so I'm going to say, you know, number one in the region in sales, three years in a row, fairly supported by insert corporate logo. It's going to talk about father of, brother of, friend of, et cetera. So I think that we, and as a practice and as a discipline, have always made sure that the family got the number one priority. Now, work and business, gosh, if you're talking to people that are self-employed, um, you know, we work 24-7, so you don't have to work nine to five uh, is the general rule in entrepreneur <laughs> business plan. So things happen and things interrupt that, but it's not losing sight of making sure that in the planning, in the prioritising that, you know, family is number one. And I've always said to, particularly in the service industries that we've been involved in, that my family needs to be my number one client. In fact, it needs to get more energy than my number one customer ever would. Yeah, so whatever I do, I need to make sure that's the case. Yeah, no, fantastic. And, and hey, just we're on the topic of sort of balancing the both. Uh, I've got to know you a lot over the last uh, couple of years. Um, could, could you tell me about your almost like your holiday policy that you've had? <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, I was with a guy in America in the United States in, gosh, 1998, and we're checking in. We're both going to be speaking at this conference, and they told him that he didn't have his room because he didn't give them a major credit card to guarantee the room. And he said, well, I have a policy not to give out my major credit card to people I don't know. Well, I'm sorry, sir, we still have you in this room, but it's a smoking room. He goes, but I reserved a non-smoking room. Anyway, the short of it, he got upgraded to this most amazing room and he pulled out this book and it was a book of family policies and his own personal policies. And I go, well, if companies and airlines and hotels can have policy, why can't we have policy? And so I thought... Yeah, great idea. So we made a policy that when my son was born, so this is back in the year 2000, based on the travel that I did, mm. how do I balance that out? And so the policy was 10 to 12 weeks per annum of uninterrupted where possible. And I was very fortunate enough to build a business around me where that could be possible, where mm. unless someone was dying, please don't call me. <laughs> my family, uh, unless someone's knocked on our door that's like dropped a complete please don't ring me and I literally was not working remotely because quite often as business people we find ourselves just working 
remotely on holidays, so to speak. And that became the policy. So all the school holidays were just locked out of the diary and everything was planned around that as the priority. Every now and then there'd be a compromise because that's life. That The idea was that I would have that 10 to 12 weeks per year off to make up for a lot of the travel that I did. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. That's a, uh, that's a great thing to sort of work towards, hey? It's, yeah. it's, it's normally just annoying to most people I talk to about because they go, yeah, hey, that's possible. <laughs> I don't even want to hear that. Shut up. Don't even talk to me. But, again, I think, you know, everything's created twice. So, mm. you know, it's got to happen first in our heads as a, an ideal, like we were dreaming up our entrepreneurial dreams or whatever else we wanted to do. So I think that why not put the same strategy on that? This would be an ideal strategy. Let's put some policy around it. This is our policy. So um, until you actually decide that, it can't ever happen for real. Yeah, fantastic. And and I've, I've heard a lot of sort of, um, you know, people write on also the benefits of taking like a lot more holidays than, than let's say normal would be as a business owner. Um, the effect that that actually has back on the business. So it must have actually been great for you as a family, but also great for the business. Is that is that how it played out for you? Yeah, look, well and truly. And I think that when you give yourself that two weeks, I was, <laughs> I was working the school term. So two weeks, we'd always be camping and there's a time and a good part of our camping, everyone's pretty much ready to go to bed at seven. And I'm kind of, kids are asleep and you're sitting around a campfire having a glass of wine and exploring mm-hmm. ideas and talking about life and thinking. And just mm. creating that mental space to firstly defrag, so just to unclutter the brain, so you get that defragging space. And then obviously that leaves then your mind a little more open to ideas and possibilities. So highly recommended. Yeah, awesome. Uh, thank you. And so what I want to do, it's almost like every time we have a chat, I find out something else that you've done or another business that you've run. Um, would you be able to take us right back to the start or how you first got into business? <laughs> and I think you know which story I'm hinting at. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, look, the very first segue into business was accidental, if that's the one that you're talking about. I met a woman when I was in grade 10. I was doing a lot of community service work for the Sangat Magistrates Court, and I was regularly sentenced to 30 hours of community service for my crimes against the community. And that was pretty much most of year eight, year nine, and the beginning of grade 10. And in the beginning of grade 10, out mowing lawns for the magistrate, the elderly and the infirm. Um, I've already graduated from washing cars and mopping out the police station, um, or cleaning cars, I should say, mopping out the police station. And I've mowed dozens and dozens of people's lawns, and no one had ever spoken to me. They'd only ever spoken to the police officer, never the prisoner. And this lady came up to me and said, look, that's really good, thank you, and it looks lovely. Will you come back next week? And I'm thinking, I'm fairly certain I'll be back next week, Mrs Evans. And next week I was back and she said to me, and now are you coming back next week? And I said, oh, look, Mrs Evans, you have to see the police officer because I actually finish on Thursday. I will have completed my 30 hours of service and I'm sure there will be someone else. And I was trying to convince her that there would be someone else because most of the people that I went to school with up until grade 10 pretty much were going to jail or already in jail or on remand or on detention. And so I was fairly certain there would be someone else involved. She leaned over into my space and she said, well, I've got an idea for you. You can come back next week and you can mow my grass. And while you're busy mowing my grass, you won't be getting into mischief. And while you're busy mowing my grass, then, you know, I'll work out a way to pay you some money. I'm like thinking, this is interesting. I'm looking at the police. I'm looking at her thinking, this is a setup. She knew what was happening. Someone's approached her, the Juvenile Aid Bureau, and thought, you need to help us with this guy. Anyway, 
the short of it was that I went back photographs and paid me three dollars, which back in 1979, gosh, mm. 50 cents would get you a Coke and a Mars bar if you ever bought one. Uh, I kind of got a little bit stuck on the grab and go concept in grade nine and ten, but um, <laughs> uh, hence why I was Murray Moore's for the magistrate. And <laughs> it was the beginning of an amazing relationship, and every week I went back. She had another job for me, another customer to, you know, to go and mow their grass. She had been cleaning up all the garden beds and replanting gardens, all the stuff that, you know, her husband used to do before he passed away and that she wasn't physically able to do. And about 10 weeks in, she said to me, you need to understand a couple of things. The first thing that you need to understand is that if you solve problems for people, people pay you money. Second, second thing you need to learn that if you cause problems for people, people will pay money for you to go away. Mm. What does it cost me to keep your mates in Bogger Road, which was the local jail in Brisbane at the time? What do I get? Nothing. I paid you $15 and this yard hasn't looked so good since my husband was alive. All those gardens are redone, planted, and, and that became a repetitive message from her that you're either solving problems or causing problems. You're either solving problems and if you are solving problems, you become incredibly valuable. If you're causing problems, well, then people want to pay money for you to go away. What can I do? And little did I know she was talking to me about corporate restructuring and uh, how do you get rid of those people that you just can't get rid of any other way, et cetera. If, if you're causing problems for people, people will pay money. So I got really good at solving problems early and I thought in every business, the focus has to be not on what we do, but what is the problem that we're actually solving for our customers? Mm. So that revolutionised my thinking around that um, and we had a great relationship uh, for six years until she passed away. We were the best of mates. Mm. One of the saddest days of my life was obviously saying goodbye to her. And yeah, wow. I think by the time I got to grade 12, I was on about 65 loans a fortnight. I was making more money than my dad in cash and I was still using his lawnmower, which I thought was a pretty good deal. So uh, <laughs> that was the beginning and part of the beginning of my own paperwork activity. Yeah, fantastic. No, thanks thanks for sharing that. And so where did it go from there? Because like, even in sort of your early to mid-20s, you'd, done some impressive things. So what happened next? Well, you know, obviously I back in those days, you either went to uni or you didn't. That was a part of the dilemma. And I was not really sure about uni. Um, year 11 and 12, I met a whole different group of people, friends, people that I'm still friends with today, which is a real honour. Mm. Um, some people that actually went to school every day, that studied every day, <laughs> that came from different households and what I came from. And um, it was fun to be around those people. And year 11 and 12 were amazing. I learned a lot about leadership. I learned a lot about solving problems for people, not causing problems for people. Hmm. And I joined the bank, the ANZ Bank. I did have this moment in my life where I wasn't sure what to do. And I took, I had all this cash from mowing all these lawns. And I thought, what do I do with this? And I thought, geez, where I live, I really should take this to the bank. So I went <laughs> to the bank and I thought, I can't keep it in the shoebox anymore. And the guy that served me at the bank, I knew from school. He was a couple of years ahead of me, but he'd now gone in and was working at the ANZ. And I took in a shoebox that had about $3,030 in it. And Frank said to me, he goes, oh, I okay, Bruce, how are you going? I said, mate, I want to open an account, probably just a passbook account because I don't know when I might need this money, but can you help me? He goes, yeah, sure. How much do you want to deposit? And I said, oh, I've got about $3,000. And he goes, I can't help you. You have to see the manager. That's a reportable amount of money. You need to see the manager because you'll want to know where did you get 3000 bucks in cash. Anyway, the short story of that was uh, <laughs> the painting on the back of his office. And as I'm talking to the bank manager, which is awkward, I say, oh, Fred Egan, I see you have one of his paintings. He goes, oh, you know Fred. And I said, oh, yeah, he's a connection of the family and I knew he did painting and whatever. Mm. So 
Percy Adams, the bank manager there, tracked me down through school, found out a bit of my history and offered me a job at the ANZ Bank. So after school, I went straight from my part-time job at KFC to my full-time job at KFC for about three weeks and then joined the ANZ Bank and then started studying part-time at what was the Institute of Technology in those days, Mm. the business economics. And the luxury of joining the bank was in those days, every time someone came to see the bank manager, you would do a diary note. And that physical diary note would go in the folder for that client. And as much as I could never tell people about what I read because it was all confidential, I was looking at these and thinking, oh, gosh, I could do that. Mm. I'm building up this capital. I'm getting a bit of a head start in terms of having some starting point from a business perspective. So I kept going with the lawn mowing run. I then started a milk run for a guy who in those days we used to deliver to houses and he was getting too old to deliver the houses. So I did some houses and a few shops and I was making some money from there. Mm. Mowing the bank, starting at night time. And one day I went, I've just got to be able to do this for me. And then um, I bought a comedy farm bread run. Uh, There's a couple of jobs in there, but I joined the comedy farm bread run, which was a wholesale bread run out to the supermarkets when bread was actually a fixed price, mixed with uh, bread and milk were fixed prices in those days, in the Mm. 80s. And then uh, I sold that, bought a cafe pizza restaurant. And then from the cafe pizza restaurant, I started building up these series of um, cafes around Brisbane. So by the time I got to 23, we had about 140 staff, depending on the week, Um, sometimes 135, sometimes 140 or 145, and uh, wholesale manufacturing business around donuts. And we were the donut kings of Brisbane in the 80s until we decided to sell out. Buying and selling houses, we were able to use that money for a deposit to buy a house, and then on it went. But it was fairly complicated and really busy, and I think at almost 57, I... I can't imagine, and I'm sure every business person listening to this must have times in their life where they're going, did we actually really do that? (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, with with all of the wholesale manufacturing, I'd go to work at 10 o'clock at night. I'd work all night. My Mm. wife and I would then go and deliver donuts all over to 7-Elevens and mobiles and cafes and our shops around Brisbane. By the time I finished visiting all of our shops and got to the end, get up with banking and a lunch relief, I would then go home and go to sleep at about 2 o'clock, get out of bed at 8 o'clock, have like a six-hour sleep, do a couple of hours uh, catching up with my wife, and then I'd head off to work again. And that was like life uh, for about three and a half, almost four years. Hard yeah. work. But you learn a lot and make plenty of mistakes in the process. Yeah, there you go. And could you tell us about one of your most significant um, maybe business wins? Like what, what was sort of one thing that sort of stands out in, in your business life? I'm like, wow, that was a great outcome, whether it was planned that way or not. Um, I think the older I get, the more I realise that the hard work produces the opportunity, which then presents as luck. Oh, you were lucky. Mm. Well, no, I was working hard and I was doing the right thing, solving problems for people, mm. and then all of a sudden an opportunity presents. And in hindsight, it looks like dumb luck. And I think mm. I, I opened up a store that was an existing store that I tried to buy. I couldn't get into that. Lease. There were issues with the lease and the transfers of the lease. And in the process of uh, trying to get that lease established, I met one of the other shop owners there, um, which was kind of weird because it looked like he was setting up in competition to me. This guy was into donuts and I'm buying this ice cream cafe, hot dog, you know, the kiosk that you mm. used to be in the middle. And this was at the Greenslope shopping mall. 
and I'm like, I'm away on this. And then all of a sudden it looks like before I even start, someone else is going to be selling coffee and donuts and, and luck, opportunity, talking to the staff member there, talking to the owner of that business. Um, we met, decided to partner on another business. He had opportunities in other supermarkets because he'd been in retail for some time, mm. once they supermarket shopping centres, yep. and that became the beginning of what was the new empire. Opportunities here, that relationship, just investing in that relationship was enough to eventually combine those businesses. They wanted out, so see you later, John. John mm. and Ray disappeared, and then I just kept accumulating. Got the recipe um, that I've learned and paid attention to, and I think it really does pay attention to find people with expert skills and or, you know, even just relationships in that space and, you know, take, take your notebook, take a pen. Yeah. Try not to tell them anything about you, which still feels weird for me when I get interviewed for different things to go, I'd rather learn about you. I'm, I'm <laughs> curious about what every other business person that you have reached to is doing because I think, you know, then I learn more. If I'm not talking and then I'm listening. So I think that was just the beginning of that. And then the experience in dealing with landlords and you know, even having to ask for rent relief if shops weren't going so well, or managing staff, building a great culture. How do we manage our client relationship? How do we even manage our finance and accounting? There was mm. so much to learn running this seven-day-a-week business. And oof, I know I was tired by the time I got to the end of that four and a half years when I think we sold that final last shop. So Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. There you go. And, and so, could you tell us a little bit about what you do now? So, I mean, that, there's a there's a lot of sort of time there, uh, and all the different things you did. But what what are you what are you doing right now in in business? This is really a nice way to say that was back when you were like 20. Now that you're almost 57, what the heck? There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot. It's, it feels like a lot. And I know when you're asking, you know, I'm still doing learn to swim teachers association. I bumped into the learn to swim industry. So I'm still actively involved as business owner, investor, um, educated to our own company and to providing strategic direction there. So that's exciting. Teaching kids to swim, mm. uh, still for life, and making kids safer around water, knowing how to manage water, be around it, teaching parents how to swim too. A lot of all our swim schools are in Melbourne and in Calgary and in Edmonton in Canada. Mm. And we have a lot of people that have never been in the water. So wow. it's going to also teach adults to have an awareness about what safety and safety around water. So that for me, if you're familiar with the cash flow quadrant by yep. Robert Ducky, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, that started as a business I was involved in that moved into, you know, a mixture of self-employed and business and very much in the investment quadrant these days. And my passion, um, which I kind of discovered accidentally, is around education. So I'm still working in education, working with companies, individuals, corporate and mm. public sector organisations, helping them create great places to work um, and being, you know, vis-a-vis the best version of you, um, the one that turned up at the job interview. How do you just be that person every day? And if you're a leader or you're an organisation, how do you create leadership in a culture and a structure and a systems and a resourcing to make sure that people want to come every day and bring that best version of themselves. So mm. that, that until COVID was keeping me really, really busy, yep. face-to-face conference markets changed significantly. I haven't travelled the world or the country for over almost two years now. So that's been quite different and doing a lot more online. So 
seeing people face to face and actually trying to wind down just a little bit. Um, so I'm trying to do a little bit less, which is a good feeling too, except I really suck at semi-retirement. So I'm still, I'm still trying to work out a way to do that better. <laughs> awesome. Um, and, and we've got a lot of business owners who, who listen to the podcast um, and, and you touched on the, the creating a great workplace. Um, could you give us some of the methodologies or, or sort of low-hanging fruit that you share uh, with your audiences um, to, to ours? Yeah, look, I, I think the first thing is to start with the business owner and I'd like to not talk about culture first. I, I like to talk about the payroll. How much money are we spending every single week on wages? And mm. whether you've got 500000 whether you've got a million dollars, whether you've got $10 million worth of wages, if you've got $10 million worth of wages, that's just the wages component and you're getting a, like a 65%, which according to some of the global studies, if you've got an engagement rate of 65%, oh, that's a good thing. Mm. So even if we are getting a 65% engagement rate and you've got a $10 million payroll, there's $3.5 million worth of payroll that you're not getting value from. Wow. You know, you're throwing a $1 million spend on your CRM and your marketing to your customers. Um, If you've got 35% of your staff not speaking positively in a helpful, useful, exciting way about the company, then you're going to say goodbye to a significant portion of that investment in your reputation, in your marketing spend, et cetera. So, you know, that ripples through, why do you have them in the first place? And then if you're paying for their phone and their super and everything else that goes with the expense of employees and we mm. haven't put the effort in, there's a real commercial imperative to pay attention to culture and getting the, you know, that old cliche, the right people on the bus, mm. but, you know, even more than that, you know, what do we have to do with our systems and our structures and our resources to make sure that everything supports what we say we want to do. So to business owners, if you want it to be a great place to work, mm. do you actually want it to be a great place to work or is it just a nice idea? If it's just a nice idea, people will see through that in a heartbeat. Mm. Mm. So my question is to your own personal reflection on what are the things that we might be doing with structure and systems and resources that the business is doing that doesn't support a great place to work. You yep. know, there's silly policies, there's silly things that were put in place and normally a lot of policies even in small business are put in place to punish the two people. We were too lazy to actually performance manage. So 20 people now have some ridiculous policy in place because two people weren't wearing their PPE or they weren't doing the right thing by payroll. or And so we now we put in a policy to punish everyone <laughs> instead of really dealing with the two people. So that's, that's a good place to start to look. The optionality piece, if you've got any leaders in your business that are like going, oh, this is kind of a nice idea, but, you know, the boss read a book and the boss wants us to go down this path and make a great place to work. <laughs> you've got any cynicism or optionality it's kind of you don't really have to play your then either a stop talking about making this a great place to work or invite those people to come and support the process or mm. time to rethink your um, recruiting strategies <laughs> to say at least at that level it, it's mm. it really is hard work if you want to get to that place but worth it yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, you know, being an accountant, you take your wages and times that by your in, engagement, um, and then work out what that difference is. Jeez, yeah. that 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 can be a significant one. And and just on that, again, wanting to quantify the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes that's the only thing that wakes up us as business owners. 
because yeah. you know, it's full of a thousand million things and there's never enough to time to do all the things you want. And then somebody goes, oh, yeah, look at our culture and our engagement's not so well. Our customer experience is lacking as a result of that engagement level. But right, that's one thing. But what does that mean in dollars and cents? Yeah, for sure. And, and is there a framework to calculate that percentage? Is there like... Oh, look, I think if you're not measuring your current levels of engagement, mm. then I'd suggest that one of the most simplest ways is Google Net Promoter Score. Yep. And think about asking your staff, would you ever recommend this place as a great place to work? Yep. It's really a yes or no. And you can mm. make it as simple as yes or no. And in businesses that we've bought and we've taken over, that's one of the questions we've asked when we're doing our due diligence. Wow. When we're going to buy that business, we're going, well, is it already, what's the relationship that staff have with this business? Mm. Would, would you say this is a great place to work? Would you recommend it to your friends, yes or no? And everyone who says no, that's expensive. Yeah. It's yeah. a quantifying that. So I think that's a really good place to start. And then you ask that question and you've got, 40% of people that go, no, I'm not, I wouldn't recommend it. Whatever that percentage is, that's 40% of your payroll. Mm. Wages, contractors, whatever that looks like. So mm. I think it really does, that, that's the simple math in that area. Yep. Mm. Oh, good. And, um, and just to illustrate what we've been talking about, could you share the story about the, the pens? <laughs> You've shared it with me once. Oh, yeah. Look, and it's, it's one of those things, and for those of you that have never looked up the Gallup Q12 questions, I really encourage you. Marcus Buckingham, Gallup organisation, significant data sample that they've had, like well over a million people to, to put this data together. And one of the questions that they ask in terms of a great place to work, do I have the resources that I need to do my job right every day? Mm. That's a really simple thing, you would think. Yeah. and. When we had a supermarket, I would go and have a monthly meeting with all the staff and I'd be doing a check-in. I'm there to talk about culture and structure and systems, not just a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling. We want to talk about the practical, what, what does it mean to work here in this business? Does everyone have what they need to do their work? A couple of people put their hands up with the same question, pens. We don't have enough pens. And these are the days where you had to, when you did an FPOS transaction, you had to sign the receipts. Yep. No pin numbers, right? Everyone had to sign the receipt. And I'm like going, I looked at Greg, who was my business partner. He had a 30% equity and I was the other 70%. I said, Greg, what's the deal with the pens, mate? He goes, well, you guys, and it was a good culture, <laughs> you guys all steal them. And it was a fun kind of jovial conversation. You guys all take them home. Yeah, but then when we're looking for a pen, we can't find a pen. And I said, Greg, solution, why don't we just grab a 1,000 pens, stick them in the stationary cupboard, <laughs> Way, we will not run out of pens. The staff can't ever for one moment go, mm, I can't get a pen, what's going on with this place? Because while they're doing that, they're not creating the ultimate customer experience. They're mm. disengaging. You know, that drama disengages and distracts people from actually just doing what's on the job description. Provide mm. ultimate customer experience, make this a great place to work. And so we bought a 1,000 pens, and even when we finally sold that supermarket or to the Kiwi farmer that was looking for a change in life, <laughs> sunshine Coast, and it sold the farm and was coming to live on the Sunshine Coast. I think we had about 600 pens left because wow. what the staff were telling us was that, that we got to a saturation point at home where their family or their partner or their mum would say, If you bring another one of those bloody pens home, I'm going <laughs> to take, take all these pens back because people were just 
unwittingly like you do. You stick the pen in your pocket, you get home, you go on another pen and leave it on the kitchen bench. It got to saturation point. But the main point to that, thank you for the reminder mm. even on that example, was that it just took away the distraction and the drama. Mm. Pen, pen. Can't find a pen straight to the cupboard. I have a pen. I sign the delivery document. I need to sign that with the customer. I'm putting stock away. It's all done easy. Just And so many times we don't do that. I, can I tell mm. one more story on that? Just yeah, to, yeah, please. Get away from the, it's not just a team building event that mm. makes everything okay. It's not just, oh, we do drinks on Friday that makes it okay. Mm. How do you eliminate distraction and drama so everyone can just do what we're asking them to do? Uh, a guy said to me, I need you to come in and motivate my staff. And I said, it was a brand new business like 11 months ago. I'd rather talk to you about what you've done to them since then because surely they were all enthusiastic and positive at the start. <laughs> and it was a pretty awkward conversation. And in the end, it came down to let me talk to the staff. And I spoke to the staff and they said, we've got the latest technology here. We've got $200,000 machines out there. But see that fridge? That fridge doesn't even keep our lunch cold until morning tea time and there's not even enough space for all of us to put our lunch in the fridge and some guys are bringing eskies and then they're tripping over stuff and there's stuff everywhere. Just the fridge, that would make this a better place to work. Wow. Anything else? Oh, we got one boss that's a bit of an idiot, but, you know, we kind of deal with that. But, yeah, a fridge, that'd be good. And I went mm. back with a proposal saying, uh, righto, because he wanted to do a team-building day and make everyone feel good. Um, what he needed to do was just buy two fridges and a little sandwich toaster and a microwave, and we spent $1,500 at Chandler's. I had to quote. I said, $1,500 is going to do a lot to engage your staff wow. by not distracting them. And I think particularly for Australian businesses, compared to we have a fairly unique culture compared to anywhere else where I've worked in the world, don't. Don't go out of your way to piss them off, and they're mm. generally they're a pretty good bunch to work with. Mm. Don't mm. go out of your way to distract them or create drama. Don't tell everyone that we're in austerity measures and we've got to cut back on spending, and then you drive into work the next day in your brand new Audi A8 with all the gear on it. Mm. Um, you know, buy a Camry for twelve months or two years or whatever it is. All of those symbols make a difference to really being able to create a great place to work yeah and and i yeah i I love it and and i just also want to not look past the the financial benefits of that i mean that's not the priority or the primary reason why you do this but if if you can you know increase your productivity or sales by five or ten percent by making them a bit happier um or or reducing your your staff turnover and your recruitment costs and your training costs that's expensive stuff um, but if we do that, that, that might have a massive impact on profitability of the business. But, uh, you know, when, when we're looking at business value, we take profit and times that by a, a number, maybe it's three, four, five, sometimes more, uh, depending on the industry. But you, what you're doing by making your team happier is not only benefiting their lives, their fulfillment when you come to work, hopefully yours as well. Uh, you might fit your lunch in the fridge, but like seriously adding value to your own, own business and, and own life. So it just makes so much sense to lean into that. Um, yeah, and but, when you look at the numbers, Ben, and I know I'm talking to the accountant, right? <laughs> but ultimately when, when you look at the numbers, if you need a bit of a, an emotional reminder about how important this is, you know, money's not everything, but it's up there with oxygen. It's never going to be in your bank account. It's already in someone else's bank account. So yeah. if you, what's the value proposition that we're providing for customers? You're going to mm. have a 100% focused staff on creating the ultimate customer experience 
no one's perfect, which means that if we're doing it 95% of the time, at least then they're going to give you some slack. So they keep taking the money out of their bank account on mm. a regular basis and putting it in your bank account because you're solving a problem for them because you've got everyone focused on it, not just you as the business owner. So yeah. I think that, you know, there's a big responsibility to even start to share those numbers with your leadership team and to start educating people about what does it really cost us to look for, particularly in today's market, which is just crazy if you look mm. at stuff, to look for, decide on, bring on board, train, bring them up to speed before they're ready. What does that cost? Mm. Not just for that person's wages, but for the people that will be supporting that process. That's a lot of time. So the least amount of times you get to do that, the better. That's money in your bank account and less drama and distraction. Yeah, for sure. How good. <laughs> Awesome. All it's right. Easy to talk about, mate. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I guess. Do you do you have any sort of final strategies on um, on on just protecting the time with the family um, when it comes to business? We do. We did touch on it at the start, but like, yeah, just some some. Yeah. Look, I I think that when it comes to relationships, at the beginning they're amazing. You know, mm. you and I are the best version of ourselves. It's the first date mentality. I call it when you're on first date. You're having a shower before you go out. You're making sure that you're laughing at all the jokes. You're ready early. You're doing the romance. It only takes about 12 weeks to go from having a shower before you go out to going, oh, just a decrease in a respray. That'll do. Mm. Oh, just going to the RSL. You know, normally you put the perfume on, you dab it on. But, you know, when you first start going out, you spray it into a mist and you step into the mist and let it <laughs> And then 12 weeks in, you pick it up and you go, that's 80 bucks a bottle, uh, even at the chemist warehouse, I don't think so. I will just back the Rexona in for 48 hours. So, like, there's this natural tendency in relationships to move out of this first date space into some levels of dissatisfaction. And I think that when we get to dissatisfaction, that's normal. Mm. It's normal. If you're going to be in a working relationship or a personal family one, you can't be in that first date mentality all the time you will get to dissatisfaction. And I think the key is that when you get to dissatisfaction, in my parents' generation, uh, literally, you just didn't talk about it. How's things at home? Fine. Mm. Well, your mum don't seem to be getting on so well. I'm marrying her. I'm living with her. So um, we've only got 20 years to go and then it'll all be over. So um, that was the, that was the, the attitude to dissatisfaction mm. was don't try and resolve it or make it better. It's just it is what it is. Yeah. I hate my job. Yep, that's all right. You need to be lucky you got a job. Well, I'm not really sure I'm getting on so well with my wife. Well, you married her, you live with her. It's, you know, that's what you said yes to. But, you know, there was this moment of not doing anything to resolve. Mm. New generation, even more so now, if there's dissatisfaction, let's just go. Yep, hop on the bus, Gus, make a new plan, Stan. Out you go. Um, see you later. You get cancelled, you get ghosted, and you disappear, mm. which means that we have probably not very good at doing the resolution bit, mm. which is the next stage in relationship development. Orientation, this beautiful beginning, first date mentality, dissatisfaction is normal, resentment is optional. Yep. So that when we're busy in our life, we still need to find time, not just for the first date mentality stuff, dates, romance, fun, connection, ritual, all of the good things that really add rocket fuel to our relationship. Mm. The stuff that I think that people don't talk about, which is the hidden stuff, is that when dissatisfaction comes, don't let it turn to resentment. Yep. Hey, honey, I'm really sensing that you're a little upset right now. Uh, what's going on? Let, can we talk about it? And to be able to keep that in the best adult, adult framework that you can, 
called a timeout if it's getting a little ugly. Mm. They can agree that we want to do this positively because we love each other. Mm. Yes, we can. And then if, if it goes out of shape, can we just go and take a timeout so we can come back to our intention? Is And the intention is resolution so we can mm. get back to red hot again. And it won't be red hot all the time. There'll be times of dissatisfaction. There'll be times for resolution. There'll be time for first date. So making time for all of those things I think is important. And, and one of the things that I think that people can do is ritualise that. Yep. So, you know, I'm going to come and see you, Ben, because I know my, my finances, you know, I've got to have that into the ATO by May. Mm. I've got to get the company statements done and it's all done. That's kind of like the annual ritual with the accountant. Mm. Amongst all the other interactions that you have with a good accountant during the year to stay on, you know, on task and to make sure that you're doing the right things. So I think how do you ritualise that for family? And I still remember when the kids were little, I would come home and I'd have the great reunion and, you know, they were as excited as the dog to see me. You know, when you're at that age, they're as excited as the dog to see you. And then I'd say, righto, mum and I have got 15 minutes. I'm going to set the timer on the stove. And when that timer goes off, we're on. But mum and I are just having a chat now for 15 minutes. Yeah. Away it goes. So ritualising that. I never drove home still on a phone call. No phone call. If I'm if I've finished that phone call, I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not going into my home until I've finished. It. Ah, got it. Yep. Drive all over the place and get home because when I can be, be home, then mm. that's it. I'm I'm done for the day and for the next two and a half three hours, I just need to be totally present. So, leaving your phone in the car, turning it off, tucking it in your briefcase, whatever, just ritualising those things, I think, are important. Mm. And when you and I are not being our best and you really had a big day and you feel like you've got nothing left, and I know that you like this example, um, I've never, ever sent my kids to time out. Um, the person, if I saw them do something that made me cranky, yep. you know, I just saw what you did. I'm not very happy about it. I'm going to go to time out. When I'm back from time out, then we're going to have a talk about it. And I would yep. go and sit in the time out chair and I'd sit there and think, okay, what's most important? And, you know, let my rest of my brains come back, not the cortisol flooded, dumbed down version of me. I want to come back with a more intelligent version of me and then we'd work the strategy and someone would have to do the apology and get on with the rest of our agenda. You know, I'd listen to both counsel and then obviously make a decision and away we'd go. So yep. there's there's lots of little things that I think you can do that mm. if you can't, just get them to be the automatic version. When this happens... Do something good. It's worth yep. making. Yeah. How good. Ah, yep. Uh, Bruce, every, every time we chat, I learn something. So um, th- thank you for um, for what you've shared uh, today. And I hope the, uh, the audience has enjoyed it. If we want to learn a little bit more about you and what you're doing, where do we go? Yeah, look, probably the best place at the moment is uh, brucesullivan.com, www.brucesullivan.com. Sign up for our newsletter. We've got a lot of things coming this year, particularly around the safer, happier workplaces. Yep. Um, not just safer, happier workplaces, safer, happier families. How do mm. you make it a safer, happier home? And how do you make it a safer, and I'm talking not just physically, of course, we do so much work on that space, but psychologically safer. Mm. And then as a result, happier workplace where people are actively engaged. And it's complex, but we have done a lot of work on that in the last 35 years. Um, proven results with a lot of companies, private and public around the world, including our own. And so there's going to be a lot more information coming on that. And if you've signed up to our newsletter, 
then we'll give you those regular newsletter and there'll be updates there about what we're doing with the Safe Happier Workplace as well. Fantastic. Well, the link to that will be in the show notes and um, I'm very grateful for the conversation we've had. Thank you again. It's a pleasure to know you. You're doing great work and the sheer fact that you are providing this level of education for people mm. through your podcasts, that's a gift to your clients. So well done, mate. Make sure you send me a copy. <laughs> yes, we'll do. No, we will. All right. Thank, thanks so much, Bruce, and I'll, I'll chat to you soon. Thanks, man. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with today's guests, you can find their contact information in the show notes in the podcast section of our website at inspire.business. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the Young Family Small Business Podcast, be sure to subscribe, leave a rating and a review. Also, do join our Facebook community. You can find that by going to youngfamilysmallbusiness.com. And if you're interested in speaking with an Inspire accountant, head to inspire.business forward slash chat, where you can book a free 20-minute strategy call. And lastly, to catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on my Instagram, uh, which is the at symbol Ben Walker CA, or one word, or at Inspire underscore accountants. Thanks again, and see you next time.